Hello, everyone. I wanted to say welcome to season three of the Atlanta Foodcast. It's pretty crazy to think that we've been doing this thing for three years now, and I cannot believe that there's so much more and so many more stories that we have to bring to you guys. And it's coming to you every single Monday across everything from Apple Podcasts to Spotify to Google Podcasts and plenty more. And I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening along for the past two years. And this year is going to be the best one yet. Um, I know that I'd probably say that every single year, but I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart and thank you for supporting the show, but especially thank you for supporting all of these amazing people and their stories who truly do make Atlanta the greatest city for eaters. So buckle up. We have a lot of episodes coming your way this season and throughout this year. There's going to be a lot more new things that are happening kind of in the podcast realm of things, and I can't wait to bring it all to you guys. Uh, so here's three episodes for you guys to kind of kick things off, and I cannot, <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this for the third year in the row, but welcome to the Atlanta Foodcast. This is the Atlanta Foodcast, stories from those making Atlanta the greatest city for eaters. I'm Ben Getz, your host. There are few places in Atlanta touting the flag of 20 plus years in business, and let alone business that has shaped the way that people experience parts of our beautiful city. But Brickstore, on the other hand, is a true staple. It's an institution. It's a place that has paved the way for beer and how it is to be had for all of us Atlantans. So it was a pleasure to sit with Mike, Dave, and Tom and hear how their stories eventually led to opening Brickstore all the way back in 1997. So here they are. And we're off. So right. I know it's really like anticlimactic, right? It's like, yeah. And then that, and we're done. Now it's it. Now you we're done. It's, it's you were like doing the, it the whole time. It's like the Christmas tree loading. <laughs> yeah. When it's, they plug uh, in the tree. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, it's about that time of year when, you know, National Lampoon's uh, Christmas vacation is just on repeat. And I actually oh, yes. really look forward to that. It's, yeah, it's the best. Yeah, I think this the scene with the uh, with the squirrel, or actually cousin Eddie, where he says, "You know what? If I woke up and my head was sewn to the carpet, I wouldn't be more surprised." Eddie, <laughs> <laughs> that's one of my favorite things. Break to out say. your antler cups. That's one you, don't, you don't remember <laughs> exactly. all the time. <laughs> oh man, um, but I'm I'm upstairs here at Brickstore Indicator, and I'm sitting here with Mike, Dave, and <clears> Tom. Um, this is this is such a tremendous pleasure to be here, guys, because it's actually been a while since I've been here. Um, but uh, this is um, this is a story that I think a lot of people are are maybe familiar with, or they have absolutely no idea how much history you guys have here in Atlanta, and especially, I mean, one of the things that I love to talk about is is really the. Um, kind of the family tree of Atlanta, the Atlanta culinary community, how many people have really anchored so much of their life, their career, their story around Brickstore. Uh, first thing that comes to mind is the guys from Watchmen's and Kimball House, and um, which I had on the show, and they, they said a lot of bad things about you guys. But, I could see that. Uh, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, Wait. it was hard to get through. I was like, golly. Have guys. you aired that yet? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they tweeted it. At, yeah, they tweeted it to you guys. Um, but, uh, but I want to get to know you guys just a little bit individually first. And then I, I can't wait to hear more of like the, the origin story, like the Genesis of Brickstore. Um, so let's just go, I guess, you know, clockwise, we'll start with Mike. So you each get the same question that every single one of my guests receive. And you have to tell me either in long form or in a truncated format, tell me who cooked for you growing up and what kind of cook was he or she? 
Well, that's great. But before I answer that, when you were talking about the Watchmen and Kimball House guys and all the wonderful things they said about well, us, a minute there. I thought of one of my favorite lines, and it's a comic that says, that, you know, every time I call my dad, he says the same thing. How did you get this number? <laughs> <laughs> so we can get into family conversations, yeah. too. Yeah, that's good. So. That's real good. That's real good. Uh, so. so who uh, who cooked for me and what did they cook? And what kind of cook was he or she? Yeah. Yeah, great. Um, so definitely um, the sort of day in and day out cook was my mom. Um, a very, um, like, just we couldn't have been any more sympathetic, empathetic, <laughs> and understanding of what she was trying to accomplish as a, as a kid. Um, and I guess that's the way kids are. But she did the lion's share of the cooking. Um, she cooked... A lot of, um, so I'm one of six kids, so it's Whoa. like, so when I say like empathy and sympathy, my yeah. mom, like I call sometimes and apologize right? Um, for the way that we were, <laughs> um, but uh, um, so she cooked a lot of sort of traditional meat and two type stuff um, whenever she tried to take a risk in her cooking to be, offer us something different or just like be more mindful about waste. Like I remember one in particular, she made pancakes, but she tried to use last night's corn put in there, which like as an adult, I'd be like, oh, corn cake and you're the best mom. I mean, we just couldn't have been any more shitty about it. We're like, this corn in the pancakes. <laughs> and, and so, um, so uh, you know, we're coming up on Thanksgiving, so I think I just need to say how thankful I am for her. But uh, so there was pot roast on Sunday with oven roasted potatoes and, you know, some kind of vegetable. Um, and, uh, and, she, and she made, you know, like burgers and, and some of the kind of basic stuff. My dad uh, very much was a Francophile in the 80s and, and a little bit into Italian cooking, too. So when he cooked, it was more him trying to create what he would have had on a business trip. Nice. And so he would actually have the opportunity to sort of just take a few hours and wow us with a meal, whereas my mom was, you know, my poor mom is putting out, you know, 13 meals a day. My dad takes the one. He's like, Veal Marsala. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> like Dad's all a sorts. Hero. Yeah, Coca Vaughn. Yeah. Francophile's uh, not a love for hot dogs. It, it, well, it, See, yeah. I didn't know where you're. Uh, I, I was, didn't know what that was. was I, am I using it wrong? I don't know. About the French what, folks? I don't know the word. French, oh, French, French cookery? F R A N C. Got it. Oh, I think, yeah. got I, think it. I was using it wrong there. Um, <laughs> so, but we did, we did eat, we did eat a fair bit of hot dogs. So maybe, maybe that's where mom and dad came together. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I'm trying to think of any other meals that really, and we and we grew up in Philadelphia, so there definitely was a lot of pizza and cheesesteaks and other healthy items on the menu <laughs> yeah indeed <laughs> pork roll. um i i love the innovation of putting last night's corn and pancakes because mm-hmm. that i my yeah my my kids might turn their nose up to that right but i'd eat that sounds yeah, good yeah she 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 definitely made some strides and as we got older of course we got more appreciative and as an adult there are items you know that you would you would love to have like just my mom's spaghetti and it's not like yeah. there's food pathways like potatoes mashed potatoes or mac and cheese or spaghetti wherever you grew up you know in the south more sort of things like cornbread or um barbecue type sides perhaps you know or what people had in their childhood and so for for me it would be probably the sunday pot roast and my mom's spaghetti you nice. know just meatballs red sauce and she'd do the little like where i didn't know what even as a kid that, like oh she's mixing it in the pan and there's a little bit of pasta oil yeah. in there and those kind of neat tricks but to, yeah, to get yeah. integrate we definitely had a green can of shaker yeah. parmesan on the table. No disrespect to the to the green shaker of parmesan. I still like it. Oh, it's delicious. It's, it's uh, you know, especially if you get the one that's actually, um, it's not just parmesan. It's actually uh, like it says Reggiano on there. Yeah. You're like, oh, wow, that's pretty fancy. That just means it has more MSG in it. I think. <laughs> yeah. So. Of the th- yes, naturally occurring, of course. Oh yes, of course, yes. Still keep it's aged ranch in the fridge. Still keep 
Heinz in the fridge, but now it's simply Heinz. But the one thing I don't keep is the is the green palm can. No, it's all right. But we've upgraded to. You live in Atlanta. You can get good cheese, so it's okay. (laughs) I have two blocks. I have two blocks of Reggiano in my refrigerator right now. In addition to the green can of the shaker, yes. All all that it is. The kids, they just. Yeah, it's it's just been an edifying experience, though. It's like you know what? I just know what else is out there, but you know where your roots are. Sure. Like that green can. You know you're gonna come to it three years later. You know, like it's spaghetti night, guys. Also, Let's if your dog out. won't eat the new food, you sprinkle a little of that on there, mm. boom. It's his new yeah. favorite. Yep. little life hack for you. Yep. Yeah. Well, Mike, thanks for sharing a little bit of your story. Shout out to your mom Excellent. and corn pancakes. Try that, everybody. But, uh, Tom, same question to you. Where did I – who cooked for me growing up? Yeah. Uh, that would be Atlanta Public Schools. Did a lot of the cooking for me as I grew up. <laughs> um, some meals I also got for myself from Magic Market. <laughs> but for the most part, no, it was uh, it was a turkey sandwich at lunch and it was a hot dog for dinner. And, and I really didn't broaden my food horizons until, you know, before we opened the brick store. Wow. Um, of my parents, my dad did most of the cooking. He definitely did some uh, during my uh, teen years, which led to my uh, a- obvious uh, loving of cooking and, and food in general. Yeah. What's like your first food memory? Like what's one that stands out? Um in life you think or like the first thing i cooked the first thing i felt confident cooking was making a spaghetti sauce making like a scratch tomato sauce yeah where you cook your own garlic and add the tomatoes and cook them just long enough all that right um in my life um uh, it was probably a peanut butter and mayonnaise sandwich is the first thing i really remember eating every day <laughs> As a uh, as a sub six year old, there's so much science behind this though. Yes, there really is. Mm-hmm. It's brilliant because I actually remember doing this. So I only have like a slight one up to that is actually having uh, not bacon but bacos in like the shaker can. So yeah. mayonnaise, peanut butter, and so Interesting. little little the Elvis bacos in there. I yeah. like it. I had not heard of that bacon. one. Is that yeah. an Elvis thing? I think I it's, it was it's very butter. it's very Elvisy, but it had that bananas. Go make one. I promise you'll love it. Mayonnaise on white bread yep. should just well, be a food group. So if you're making a grilled cheese, is it only butter on the outside of the bread, or do you also do Dukes on the outside of your bread? <sighs> I'll do Dukes if we got some. Yeah. We've, yeah. we've switched do to doing the mayonnaise sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. You get a better crust on the outside of the bread. On the, the outside of your cheese. grilled cheese. Instead of uh, butter in the pan, yeah, you spread. Because it's... And I love that you said Dukes. Yeah, because it's, it's such Southern. a brilliant saturated fat. Mm-hmm. It, it actually caramelizes, like, same like Maillard reaction. Like, I personally think that... Dukes on the outside of a, on the on your bread of a grilled cheese is superior. Uh, interesting. Yeah. So, throwing down the gauntlet. I can hear the I can hear the a hip hop uh, song we're going to be writing. Dukes on the outside. And I like I'm, that. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, Someone's going to pop their head around the corner like, "Are you guys talking about Dukes on grilled cheese?" <laughs> Dukes <laughs> out of nowhere. Out yeah. Yeah. Uh, we have peanut butter and it bacon. It does make them slippery at Leon's, and that yeah that, uh, is like a. We wanted to do a. Um, I, first of all, we talked about green parmesan can and bacon. I have never heard of mayonnaise and peanut butter sandwich before. It's a first here live. Uh, so banana and mayonnaise. Getting, uh, oh, I thought you said banana peanut butter. Banana and mayonnaise. Mm-hmm. No, you said peanut butter. Did I? You did. Yeah. yeah. I think I was tracking banana with you. Banana and mayonnaise I, is no, what, no, like, what I was, was thinking my, of. Okay, maybe. Oh, all right. Here we go. Is that what was in your head? I, banana and mayonnaise was in <laughs> yeah, my head. That's but what even, I ate growing up. You said peanut butter and mayonnaise. Even you if guys you guys are telepathically, yeah, that's not going to work for like, the listeners. I, know, I think I'm you've got this recorded, right? We can we can double check. That's the beauty of a podcast. This is all going to make it into the episode, so we'll just let everybody else like figure out what we talked about. 
But yeah. he's going to be like, peanut butter mayonnaise, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> to give this some context, but yeah, we do have bacon and peanut butter at Leon's, and that was something that my mom served us as a kid. But nice. we, rather than doing like a highfalutin truffle or lobster or some kind of, you know, fancy add-on, we have a... Uh, a peanut butter add-on to a glass of bacon and it's a uh, 50 cent upcharge nice. so that's certainly a way of reminding us yeah. where we come from does anyone look at that and see that as a deterrent of like man 50 cents yeah no way it's like dude yeah. just stick with the bacon don't Thanks. be an idiot it's bacon and calm down um anyway same wavelength peanut butter and banana or uh Mayonnaise. mayonnaise and banana. Now we're never going to know what we were talking and about. And Wonder Bread. I did forget to Damn. mention the Wonder Bread. Yeah. Well, it, it's got to be something. Yeah. If you squish the bread and it has resiliency, oh. you just can't. It can't be on a loaf of brilliant like country sourdough. It's not going to work. Right. It has to be cheap bread that if you step on it, it's flat as a piece of paper. And stays flat. Yeah. It stays flat. You could throw it. Yeah. If it comes back, like a can't can't do it. Can't do it. Atlanta so. Food Podcast sponsored by Bakos, Green yeah. Camp Parmesan, <laughs> and Wonder Bread. Yeah. Mix them all together. Add some mayonnaise to it. <laughs> Put it on the outside. That's what everybody else is doing. And then deep fry it. <laughs> uh, Dave. Yes, sir. Same question to you, man. Yeah. So I grew up, my mom definitely did uh, the majority of the cooking. We probably ate at home 29 out of the 30 nights of the week, or the month, rather. Uh, and we'd also grow up, I think my dad would grill maybe once a week, but it was very, Mike and I, Mike grew up Catholic, I grew up Episcopalian, and we were definitely a meat two or three family, seven nights a week. It was great. She also made my lunch every single day from first grade through 12th grade. And wow. High school. So, uh, yeah, I mean, she, she did it all. Yeah. She stayed at home. You know, she stayed home and yeah. cooked for the family. Yeah. Siblings? Yeah. Got, um, uh, I'm, I'm used to do one of five, now I'm one of four. Um, but basically grew up with my mom and dad and Mm-hmm. I barely remember growing up with, but for the most part, it was it was kind of a nuclear family of my brother and I, and my mom and dad. Gotcha. <clears throat> um, but great, um, you know, like like Mike was saying about the spaghetti, like there's some things. Uh, it's it, it was probably very average food, mm-hmm. but <laughs> I would kill to have some of them. Totally. Those are some of the best memories, man. Like Sunday pot roast. Like I, yeah. you know, the we had stew. Yeah, like totally. Big time. Like yeah. Yeah, but it tasted right because it wasn't like the stuff that came out of the Campbell's can. It was actually right. made oh, with yeah, yeah, yeah. real ingredients, right. you know, maybe had a little bit of tarragon in there. I Something I, super I, adventurous. Yeah. Yeah, but it was on the... Right. Yeah. But it was all on the spice rack from someone's wedding that was left over on like the Lazy Susan like spice rack. They didn't have one of those. In fact, oh. what did y'all keep in that cabinet? Was it cereal or something? Macaroni? Um, Banana mayonnaise sandwiches? It's not a lot of not a lot of space, I guess, if you get rid of your spices <laughs> anyway. I did, uh, I did just say one, one more thing. Though. I have a daughter who's a freshman in college, and she's getting ready to come home for the first time uh, this Friday. And every time I talk to her, that's all she thinks about. Yeah. Which is funny because, you know, I don't think you really realize it until it's not there anymore. But she's like, God, I just want to come home. I'm so sick of the food here. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing like a college cafeteria yeah. to make you yep. appreciate yep. your parents' well, cooking. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Just pisses you off and puts on weight. Yep. Got all kinds of cool food now. I know. 
Yeah. Know. I guess that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that is a cool question. It's, it's my favorite question to ask people because, you know, I, I, I think it's, it's the easiest way to kind of get into the headspace of, you know, where people either started directly in line with something that's related to spending time in the kitchen or it happened later in life. And I love that. I, I just I love to see how people have either been, you know, astride to the culinary side of the world or they kind of found it at some point through another person or through an inspiration. And um, but the story is always great, you know, especially when you have like that visceral memory of your mother's spaghetti sauce or like, you know, the lunch that your mom would pack for you every day. And um, I love that. It's just like, it's one of my favorite ways to get to know people. Um, but back to the three of you. So. Whoever has the best version of this, tell me how the three of you met ages ago. Well, I guess I was, <laughs> the, I was the one that was in between Mike and Tom. So we all met in Athens. We all worked at, uh, at one point, the, the old Mellow Mushroom that was right on Broad Street in downtown Athens. And uh, I finished school up there and didn't want to leave Athens and wanted to stay and just sort of live and work. And so I got a job smell a mushroom and Tom was the, the manager there that's where I got to meet Tom and uh, we hit it off became really tight and then uh, at some point Tom got sick of the owner and he left and went and opened uh, he won't be listening to this will he? No. Uh, uh, he went and opened uh, an Outback Steakhouse that had just come to Athens and it was uh, kind of a big deal and he left to do that Mike was working down the street at uh, a little coffee shop called Espresso Royale Cafe. And what a I'd name. I would get my coffee from him every day. And uh, he was kind of new to town and was looking for more money. And he decided Mellow Mushroom might be more money. And so he, he started working there. And so I was sort of the, the one that worked with, with Tom in the beginning. Then Tom left and I worked with Mike for a while. And, so that, and then they met, you know, they just sort of met because we were all still living in Athens and stuff. So I guess I'm the conduit for the three of Right, us, yeah, linchpin. Yeah, I love that though. I mean, because I know so much of you know. I mean, at least at least in a lot of ways, you know, where so much of the kind of quote unquote Atlanta family tree of restaurants and restaurateurs and chefs and GMs and restaurant groups and um, I know several people that have kind of carried forth part of that story of like we knew each other because we worked in the same place and now we've been in business together for a long time. You know, it's it's just really cool. I mean, it's 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 a way of you know kind of like that reverberation of the story. It's really neat. Um, so you guys meet in Athens. How did you guys make your way to Atlanta, which is so far away? Uh, I'd it's say like, it's it, it, like Athens is like extra OTP. <laughs> it's like I do a really miserable job of getting outside the perimeter. So Athens is just like, I just can't do it. No, I just... Actually, Athens is really the only reason to go outside of it. <laughs> <laughs> that's the best answer. Oh, dang. That's not good for oh, a podcast. Man. What I about would, Roswell, Dave? Yeah. yeah. Nobody's yeah. driving here from... Athens tonight. What about yeah? What about oh, Alpharetta, you. Dave? Come on. Macon's cool. Oh yeah. Macon's great. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But we don't have to worry about pissing them off. Uh, I actually think I have been to Macon probably twenty to twenty to one. Wow. Yeah. I don't know. If we're gonna do fractions, I don't know. Yeah. Macon's cool. cool. Farmers hang out in Macon. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Athens. And the, but, the Knitting yeah. Hall of Fame is there, I think. Oh really? Yeah. Nope. No. I don't know. Rock and roll. Yeah. Make There's a rock and roll something there, right? Georgia Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Really? Because yeah. nobody wanted to go to Macon, or yeah, whoa, was everyone was hanging out in Athens, yeah, not Macon. Damn. 
So anyway, Atlanta. When did that come to be a part of your guys' story? So Tom moved to Athens, excuse me, to Atlanta to open more Outbacks. You were the first one. To yeah, play. I got, I got, I, I committed like, to no to rules, Outback right. in terms of yeah, no rules, no yeah. rules, just right. Yeah. I actually just <laughs> I watched a video about someone making a blooming onion. Never I was like, told. God dang, that looks so good. It looks delicious. Oh god. Yeah, wait till yes. you make two hundred and fifty of them in, in a shift. Still and good. Then, yeah. Oh, no. no, no, no good anymore. <laughs> Never eat it again. Uh, so Outback Steakhouse. Yeah. So I, I I took a job in management with them and came down to Atlanta and opened several stores mm-hmm. um, and quickly got frustrated with uh, the corporate world and and how they did things. It just it wasn't me. Um, I knew I had to own my own business and I knew this is the industry I wanted to be in and I you know I had friends who felt the same way. It was a perfect, I think, combination. All three of us had, were in this exact same place of life. Mm. Um, none of us wanted to be told what to do, and we all felt like we had better ideas about what was going on than the people we had worked for. Mm. Gotcha. Not to mention you learned so much with your experience with Outback. Yeah, Certainly Outback, Outback taught, taught me a lot, definitely. Course, you know, even to this day, all that, all that you guys have. You, Mike and Tom had way more restaurant experience than I did when we got together with this. Mellow Mushroom was my really first and only restaurant job until we opened this. Gotcha. Wow. Nine was the paper out restaurant. It was probably 14. Yeah. Wow. Something like that. That's still yeah. early though. I mean. Yeah. My, my older brothers. Did. Actually, there was a time where me and all, all four, me and my three siblings, so the four of us all worked for the same wow. country club. And yes. so. That's awesome. Um, what did I say? Oh, yeah, no, no, I was just saying me and the brothers. Yeah, the, si- the sisters, yeah, we protected them from this business. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they never worked in it, period, did Turns they? Turns you into uh, such a no, good they person. No, they did. They both worked in the restaurant business, both of my sisters, um, <clears throat> but, uh, but didn't, didn't make a career out of it. Um, but, yeah, they, uh, I do think the, the different backgrounds for us was a big part of it. Um, <clears throat> you know, uh, you, you were asking how we got from Athens to here, but Dave and Tom – had um, Tom was working with Outback here. Dave took a job with Atlanta's first microbrewery, Marthasville, as a sales rep, and showed back up in Athens in khakis, and I got a great big laugh out of that. Um, like, hey, nice polo shirt and khakis, Dave. <laughs> Sell out. Um, but we were so impressioned by, like I think for Tom, the experience he got with those guys and how to truly create a team, uh, set up a kitchen, um, which really um, – Dave and I hadn't like you know I'd, I'd open up restaurants but never in the back of the house I didn't, I didn't right. that's not a skill and so Tom set up a lot of our early recipes really created our kitchen and and did all the development um, and you know and then Dave had an end with the you know we all did because we kind of worked in beer in Athens you know and that was the big right. thing for us coming together is we had the shared love of beer um, especially through Mellow Mushroom I mean that's a it's it's always been Definitely. kind of like a good I mean pairing between. I mean, I really, really good beer. And yeah. I mean, I would say that for the most part, I mean, that's if you're not going to an actual bar, that's probably one of the few restaurants that's not, you know, any any sort of like go in and sit down. And I mean, it's still like a family restaurant, but a tremendous beer program. All like every single one that I've ever been to, like Asheville when I lived yeah. in Charlotte yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. big time. So, yeah, yeah it's always been something. Yeah, and I, I guess they do kind of get forgotten because you think about the, you know, Taco Mac, of course, and how long they've done. You know, until we came along, Taco Mac was kind of the, the game and doing a bunch of differentiated beers. But sure. Mellow Mushroom, too. Yeah, I guess you kind of do forget about them. But we bonded on it there, and then we went and 
hung out, drank, and learned about beer um, at a place called The Globe in Athens, and that was definitely a big influence on us. Um, but yeah, Dave, Dave was plugged in the beer world. I'd worked for a lot of places, and I think one of the things we talked about, like uh, if I worked in a casual place, several of them where I felt like they cared about the staff, but I didn't learn a ton about like food or drink or service, and then I tried my hand in some of the nicer restaurants um, and started learning more about food and drink and service, but it was like they purposely went out of their way to make you feel unwelcome, hmm. you know, until until like you were just on pins and needles. And it was this kind of, at that time, um, probably not relative to just Atlanta. It was just like it was sort of this fraternal hazing of, of employees and you're, you know, like maybe after a year we'll get to know you a little bit. And, right. Um, I think that is something we bonded on. We love beer, but we also wanted to um, be like, you know, provide a place where people felt welcome to to thrive and work and like learn, but also like, hey, you're, you know, we, we like you and we're going to spend 70 hours a week together. Yeah. Let's, let, let's have some fun and, 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 and create a kind of a familial environment. Yeah. So you guys were really destined, the three of you, to kind of start something, but how did the idea end up? And, and also tell me what year this was because it's over 20 years ago now, but how did you guys arrive at Brickstore? The name. Or I guess just in general, I mean, like the concept, like really where where you guys wanted to go with it. And yeah, we're doing the name. And for me, the biggest draw for all three of us was uh, the fact that good service, teamwork, and being happy at your place of business, where you work all day long, were really important to us. It wasn't about bottom line and how much money can we make selling this and how much can we charge for this. It was It was about doing our own thing. But applying the the good service and being nice to people to it, and that that wasn't something that was common in the bar industry back then. Um, our first business plan didn't have nearly as much food being sold on it as we've turned out to be. It was hmm. it was going to be more of a bar. Um, we were thoroughly surprised by the the response to to our kitchen and that people wanted to drink and eat. And they didn't just want to go to a bar and drink. They wanted to go drink somewhere that they could also eat good food that they didn't feel like was just garbage coming out of a freezer and going into a fryer. Right. And so we set out to do the opposite of of most of those things. Um, We didn't have fried cheese sticks. We didn't do buffalo wings. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Love them. Love them. And we do sell them occasionally, and they sell like crazy. Yeah. Uh, But but we determined back then that we weren't going to have neon signs or major domestic brewed beers or televisions or or cheese sticks Uh, you know we we wanted to do things our way and we thought that people who liked the pub atmosphere deserved a a better food too yeah so Uh, oh and and i do know it's important to say like you said a bar like but i told my mom from day one that it was going to be a pub and it still is mom yeah it's not a bar (laughs) it's just a pub you can come sit at the bar yeah is it okay if i add one more thing absolutely i'm just going to say my job when i moved from Athens to Atlanta was to essentially drive around Atlanta to try to sell <coughs> beer to all the, the different bars and restaurants in town. And what hmm. I found um, through all my travels in Atlanta is there was nothing um, like the brick store. And basically, the concept uh, derived from that place that Laura and Mike had mentioned, which was just <coughs> the focus was more about uh, a little bit of a quieter venue, no TVs or distractions. Served and, you know, I think no, you mean like beer being served proper glassware. Proper glassware, no pitchers of beer, no frozen pints. You know all all this, all these kind of little things that now is pretty commonplace everywhere you go. But it was it was pretty radical back in 
before, you know, it's, it's funny. We talk now about not having any TVs, and it's really not that big of a deal because everybody's got a TV in their, in their pocket, pocket now. Right. right? <laughs> so sure. That's been a little bit of a struggle. Um, but the fact that uh, there, there really was this niche that hadn't been filled that I think we all knew would work. And it was kind of hard to tell people, hey, we're going to this little town and we're not going to have TVs or Budweiser and chicken wings. And Decatur certainly wasn't what Decatur is today. And they're like, wow, really? <laughs> yeah. I think that's a good idea. And they're like, I swear, I think it's a good idea. Yeah. I, I think it's amazing, though, too. You know, I mean, I, I think if you're if you're going back all the way to 1997 and then fast forwarding to today where we're almost I mean, we're on the doorstep of 2020, where so much of the focus is really still around beer and food. You know, it's it's really it, it's almost less common for you to see a place where you just eat and just drink. It's really like the merge of the two. And that is so much of entertainment throughout Atlanta, where a lot of people are looking for both of those under one roof, and they're both done with such excellence and attention to detail that that's what people remember. And it's also funny where there's a lot more of a shift around the style of dining, where it is not this multi-sensory atmosphere. It's more about the focus on the experience that you're having with one another and the atmosphere around you not being a bunch of TVs and, you know, uh, outside media entertainment that's being brought in you know it's it's really more about like the experience that you're having in a restaurant trying to cut you off really from the life that's, that's right. inside yeah. your pocket on your that's phone right. you know, that's and, exactly right um it's it's really amazing you know to, to to think about like in a little more than 20 years you know look at the direction that a lot of concepts are going nowadays you know and it's uh it's really that so yeah we didn't have the language then for the third place but i think without using that language that's what we were trying to create is that you know sort of totally. buffer between work and home mm -hmm. um and truly a place that we wanted to like we used to joke in the beginning that we created the pub we always wanted to hang out in and then we couldn't yeah. <laughs> because we owned it's it very there. hard now um but uh but that got easier over time um uh but yeah chances to get people together and talk if if the blue flashes is is there in your periphery you're going to stare at it but if it's not there you just sit down talk to the people you came with and, and yeah. regroup and um you know kind of uh, the public house being the family dining table. Um, if you if you're not gonna, you know, two parents are working and you can't cook at home, and yeah. so at least you go out and get away from the TV and, and break bread together. Yeah. So, um, Tom, real quick, what was the origin of the name though? Like, where did where did brick store? Like, how did that make it on the outside of the building? So originally, uh, we were going to be called the Giggling Otter, and I don't think all three of us were really sold on that name. Um, and so Dave took it upon himself to do a little research uh, in the local library archives. And it turns out that this space used to be uh, a hardware store. And back in those days, it, it hmm. was common to call your local hardware store the brick store. Because I guess, uh, actually, I don't know where the brick part comes from. But that's not an uncommon name for the local hardware store. We've heard about it from other parts of the state as well. Nice. And uh, we found a picture uh, out in front of the old brick store, and that's what's hanging on the wall downstairs. I like it. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, you know, I don't always get into that. You know, tell me about, like, the origin of, like, the name of your business, because sometimes it's really just more straightforward. But, right. You know, I, uh, I love that there's, there's history tied to those little things. Like, I was, I was having a conversation with someone just around, like, really, you know, cool, his, like, historic 
buildings in Atlanta and they found this pamphlet and there used to be this thing back in the day of manufacturing back. So Sears and Roebuck, you know, huge throughout yeah. Atlanta and really in the Southeast and it had implications for the rest of the country, but there were these manuals. So instead of having like an employee handbook with like, you know, etiquette and who's who and company history, it was called the house organ. So this was a very common thing for companies to have. And they would have this pamphlet and it was kind of like a newsletter, but it was called the house organ. So it was kind of like a catch all of what's happening and what do you need to know? And then like, you know, oh, we're changing our uniforms from, you know, off white to, you know, pale yellow or whatever. For, yeah, and it, but like it was, a lineup. Yeah. But I, I think that there's there's so much strength in a lot of like old names that they were just so colloquial, but that's just what things were called. Yeah, more, now you, more, more like that more one. literal. Yeah, but now you hear them nowadays, and you're like, whoa. Like, that's really... House Organ. Yeah. That's neat. I'm it's really up. neat. You that's guys got to check it out. We it's need really to cool. name a con- con- cocktail. Yeah. The House <laughs> Organ. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Tricky. <laughs> it'll, it'll sell really well. Yeah. What goes in that? <laughs> we put just a, some blood. Just a, yeah, some, a full uh, glass yeah. of Amaro. That's all it is. Um... So, so talk to me about starting your business here in Decatur in 1997. So expound on like just what was the atmosphere like? Because if you if you spend any amount of time on the square, it's just restaurant, 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 ice cream, restaurant, restaurant, you know, right. Starbucks. I take my kids to the, the bookstore and then I want to go to brick store. But yeah. Uh, yeah, so what was it like back in late 90s? I'll, I'll tell it a little bit for Dave and Tom because they had actually, they were already... Um, <clears throat> kind of on their way to try and open up something and talking about college towns. And then they got offered to run a pub for the 96 Olympics. And if you guys would rather tell this, step in on me. But um, I thought maybe on your behalf I would. Yeah, that'd be good. Um, and they got offered uh, a gig to run a pub called Lucky's Irish Pub on the square next to where Brickstore is located. And hmm. um, they worked 29 out of 30 days during the Olympics. Um, and, uh, yeah, just busted their butt and made a bunch of cash and um, and kind of fell in love with the idea of maybe doing something there. Um, and we took a trip shortly after that. Um, uh, I was still in Athens uh, to the beach. And that was really the first time the three of us, I think, started kind of talking about this idea. Um, as Dave said, he was kind of the conduit. He and I talked, you know, hey, wouldn't it be neat someday to open our own place? And he and Tom did that when they worked together. And so the three of us kind of bonded on uh, um, crushing some Heineken cans. Yeah, lots uh, of Heineken on that uh, trip. Playing Frisbee. And, um, nice. and, and, and talking Lost my about wallet that. twice <laughs> in one trip. And we saw wow. Loverboy uh, on that yeah. trip. And Lover, Loverboy Live. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you think that's a joke, but that's actually true. Oh, we that's did. Awesome. Yeah, we were at Panama City Beach and we saw Liverpool. Ooh, Panama City. Spinnaker. La Vila? Oh, yeah. Spinnaker. One of those two. Of those They're two. next to each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, very educational. Um, but uh, yeah, and we had, um, they had sort of identified the space. Um, the guy that we still currently rent from owned a restaurant at the time and still is here. Uh, awesome place called Sweet Melissa's. And um, we thought he was this just mean, sweaty man on the grill. And it turns out he's like the biggest sweetheart. Uh, guy ever and a hmm. pizza place that was more credible than us by any stretch of the imagination um, wanted to open up and he kind of held out for the three of us to get our ducks in a row and um, uh, and so yeah the Olympics being indicator and those guys working at that place is kind of how we found and at the time like you say there's a restaurant every corner at the time we were one of seven uh, restaurants and bars indicator so yeah. it was we pretty much came to town at least my experience in coming through the sea of sort of municipal buildings and banks and churches and schools was to go to Eddie's Attic. That was yeah. my sort of music oh, connection man. to the town. I've, I've never been to a, to a show at Eddie's Attic that I have. No, no I mean, like, I, I've not been to one that was not just amazing. Just be, just because it is such a wonderful atmosphere. I've, I've gone to see, 
you know, bands and acts and singer songwriters that I know. And then I've also been taken there to be introduced to someone that I did not listen to. And every single time it's just such a, it's, it's easily. Yeah. I mean, other than like, I used to go to shows at, uh, the old, uh, what was it called? The Cotton Club. Cotton Club. Cotton yes. Club. Yep. We yep. were talking about Holly Faith the other day. Oh man. Yep. But uh, yeah, oh, Eddie's man. is a is a special place, and you know, it's just interesting. You know that so much of of Decatur is really kind of focused on like this really like, main area, and it's changing. I mean, guy, every time I come here, it's it's like something's new or something's different, or there's a new apartment building. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. In Atlanta, definitely. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, it's just changing quite a bit. But um people don't stop being born. Yeah. That's yeah. true. That is true. There is that thing. But um but you know the the thing that's so interesting is you go back to nineteen ninety seven and you guys are, you know, forming on the idea of brick store and then here on the square in Decatur. And you know, food in Atlanta has has really still kind of like we're we're in this really interesting renaissance of like figuring out like a lot of our identity as a city in the South, but also a huge metropolitan area that has a lot to do with the rest of the country and the rest of the world. But so much of the anchor point for you guys with Brickstore has really been beer. And, um, you know, the, the interesting thing about that is that a lot of that has changed in the past 20 years and really in the past, you know, several years as well, where people have so much of like micro and macro breweries have kind of been on the rise and really attention with one another. And then, you know, finding places like Brickstore is it's the, it's the kind of place where if you are a beer drinker, you know, and you're interested in learning something new from an education standpoint, it's really where you want to be. But, um, you know, so much of food and beer you guys have been on those lines for over 20 years now but talk to me specifically about like how beer has changed you know not only from a legal standpoint in the state of georgia but also like how that has how that has grown in public interest as well that'd be for a day to talk about i would think well i think we probably all have our opinions on that but i I will say from opening and running the beer program and sort of keeping an eye on it (coughs) since day one you know, we, we first started out doing a lot of imports. That was kind of the thing, because, you know, the American beer scene wasn't very big at the time. Right. And for the longest time, we were limited by our 6% law. Right. Which kept a lot of the imports that we were had out. We lobbied for a number of years to get the beer law changed. And, you know, that was a big one in 2004 when that, that uh, you know, we popped the cap. Right. Uh, by popping that cap, we, we realized uh, we needed to change what we do to allow for all this beer that we do. And that's how we ended up expanding up and, you know, to the upstairs and adding the Belgian bar. And for a long time, you know, I would say, that, so the Belgian bar is 15 years old now. Which, which is, is insane. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, for the longest time, it still was very much import heavy. And, you know, within the last 10 years, the American scene has really come along. And now in the last couple of years, Right. You know, we really have had a front row seat in the entire renaissance of Georgia beer. Yeah. Kind of being the kind of guy sort of leading the charge on it all. Right. Or, you know, there's certainly a handful of us that have been around since the beginning. Um, I don't know. What, uh, maybe I've lost my train of thought a little bit, but. Well, no, I, I think in, you know, in terms of beer, uh, and moving forward, like, uh, you know, we, like Dave said, tons of imports, and that's 
we'd served, you know, Imperial pints, and we thought that that, like, at that time, that was kind of the way to go for us being a pub, and we, like, laughed at the 16-ounce or 12-ounce beers and stuff, and most of it was low gravity because it had to be legally, um, and so we kind of had this feel of English, excuse me, English, Irish, um, German pub more than even and we were, you know, at least I see with the kids that we employ today, this sense of coming up, you talked about Atlanta and identifying itself and being in the South. And they have that sense of, you know, you see it in our hometown pride, you see ATL and all sorts of hats and shirts and things that didn't exist when we opened up, you know, the Braves were certainly kicking butt and, and, and we thought a little bit about our place in Decatur, but we didn't think about our place in the South. We didn't think about yeah. Southern beer because it really wasn't. Um, at the forefront, we were young men. We weren't trying to change. We, we just wanted a, a cool pub that served great beer and good food and, you know, was very welcoming to our staff and guests. And I think the final front, well, not the final, the most recent frontier for beer, though, is, is American craft started exploding, and then it hit our doorstep finally. We mm. changed the local beer law. Uh, you could, it not only became legal to sell beer, but they changed some laws that allowed it to become a little bit profitable. And you have the advent yeah. of someone like New Realm and Mitch Steele and those guys opening up a brewery, brew pub in Atlanta. That's an enormous, you know, pivotal point in, in the beer story yeah. in Georgia. Um, and, and along with that, obviously, tons of, of small microbrewery brew pub um, brew pubs opening up. And so now we're not just buying killer beer. We're not just buying killer beer that's fresh in the U.S. We're buying killer beer from our friends down the street. Um, yeah. and, that's, and, and we opened up, a, you know, partners in a brew pub called Good Word Brewing. And Duluth um, with two guys, Ryan and Todd, that worked with us for years. And so that's been, from a consumer standpoint, the most exciting time in beer. And I think from a, um, uh, a professional standpoint, the most interesting but also challenging. There's, there's a lot of different places to go get great glasses of beer now. Um, yeah. Some with food, some without, some, you know, all these different, there's just so many different versions. And we, especially Dave, but we all kind of got involved and fought for that. And, and we wanted it. We still want it. You know, we would travel to other towns. And you could get a great glass of beer at a, a, a music or a sports venue. You could get a great beer and a bite to eat at the airport. Like we took a trip out to Portland and we're eating this grass-fed local beef with rogue blue cheese, hmm. you know, on a locally made bun and drinking pints of rogue or, you know, uh, Deschutes or something like that. We're like, oh, my God, this is a, this is at the airport. Yeah. Yeah. We haven't even <laughs> left the airport yet. Um, and yeah. But that's now happening here. You know, yeah. you've got... Um, local beer um, in, in all those venues and, and local food, um, you know, uh, at, at our sports venues and, and even the airport's kind of getting cool. And so, airport's really turned around. Yeah, um, big time. And, and so we take a lot a lot of pride in that. And, and, and the local our local beers, we now are, we're not just tapping to support. We're tapping because they're the best, freshest beers we can get. And we love the people we're buying them from. And yeah. that's like the, like, wow. That for us, that's like super exciting. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's awesome. You know, I mean, I think to, to be able to, you know, go straight to a brewery in the city um, is is still kind of you know it's still kind of crazy that you can still do that. I mean, it's it's less of like this you know unachievable, un not impossible to understand like alchemy of like what creates beer. I feel like that's become a lot more tangible in the past probably 10, 15 years, and then especially you know where there's places like Brickstore where you guys are really ultimately the champion of that incredible work, you know, like where you guys are kind of the anchor point of like, we're going to 
echo and perpetuate the work that you guys are doing because you know it's the it's the kind of place where yeah you can hang out at the brewery but there's also you know you, you guys are like the next step in how people engage with you know the greater part of you know food and beverage in Atlanta and um, it's really cool I mean I, I've only been in Atlanta for eight years and um, the amount of it that's changed is, uh, is I mean talk about New Realm you know I mean it's yeah, gosh you know, it's, uh, yeah <laughs> Beltline in general um, but uh, but man I. I love your guys' story. And I mean, I've been here many times over the years. And um, I, uh, I think D- Decatur is a very special place for Atlanta. Sometimes it's a very confusing yep. place for people who don't live in Decatur or you're like super rah-rah about Decatur where you're just like, that's just a really fun place to go hang out. And my you know, kids love running around on the square. But, um, but you, guys have really, you guys have really set the stage for so many people in the city and you guys have really set the pace for a lot of things as well. And, um, you know, over 20 years in business is not a, there's not a lot of people out there that have that, you know, as, as kind of like a badge that they can wear. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean with like the, with like the last like, you know, minute or so here, like, you know, you guys are, you know, back in 1997 and they're going into 2020. You don't have to giggle that hard when you say 97. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's just, it's, it's so cool because, you know, should you mention to your listeners how young we look since they can't see us? (laughs) Yeah, it's amazing. You guys wouldn't believe this. Um, But you know, like what's, um, what's kind of on the horizon for you guys? Like how are you guys like planning for the future? Like what's next for for you guys with Brickstore? Um, You know, I think for, and I'm sure we'll all have uh, something to say or an, an opinion on it. But I, I think for us is, you know, we, and I'll even start back saying when we were talking about like around our 15 year and reflecting on our town indicator, and we've obviously been very fortunate and we love it. And it's amazing. And like Dave said, we have, have had this front row seat for what's happening, not just in our community, but in the beer world and the food world. We've seen Atlanta change so much. But when we came here, what at least we knew Decatur for, what I knew Decatur for was music at Eddie's Attic. And right. with the advent of Twins and ourselves, and we created a craft beer festival and, and really started um, you know, making inroads of beer. And, and it was one of our big true passions. Um, and then it started moving towards us as we got more creative. You know, Tom uh, was certainly the most advanced and talented cook when we opened, but we all cooked a lot and cooked in our homes and ate out more and traveled and had all these experiences. And so we started uh, changing our food game too, you know, serving yeah. food that we were excited and we were always proud to serve, but maybe getting more involved with it and, and being more uh, particular about the provenance and, and buying as Atlanta improved, we could get local baked goods and, and local cheeses and yeah. all these wonderful things. And so I think for us, it's, it's kind of um, focusing all, all the things, you know, I know when we opened Leon's, we opened it in 2009, um, but we signed the lease in July of 08 and the financial market crashed in September. Yeah. It was like the worst time ever, right? And we were scared to death. But what we realized is we just focused on what we do, take care of our staff, take care of our guests, yeah. serve great food, be consistent, all these wonderful things rather than trying to um, maybe reinvent and then serve us well. And I think that's at least for what we've been talking about a lot lately is, is that is, is really focusing on what we do inside our stores mm-hmm. and looking for improvement and growth in rather than continuing to open up other restaurants. Atlanta is so exciting from a consumer standpoint, but it is a little overwhelming at times how sure. many new places are opening. So I think we just want to make sure that we're doing the best work we can and what we have. Yeah. yeah. Sure. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. What you see in the pub now is, is the culmination of 22 years. It's not like this is what we built 22 years ago and it's still here. It's a living, breathing thing that's developed over that long. Yeah. And it's going to continue to develop as we move forward. It's not going to, it's going to be the same loving and caring and comfortable place it's always been, but we'll change with the times. We'll, we'll upgrade and, and update and, and, and develop and, and 
some other words I'm not thinking of right now. But adapt or die. Adapt was the word I was thinking of. <laughs> yes. Um, and yeah, that's that's our focus is is maintaining everything we do for another twenty or thirty or fifty years. There's no reason for it to ever stop. Very cool. Well, guys, I only have one other question. And this is like super kitschy, but I think it's super fun. So, <laughs> your voice in, got very in like sultry. Yeah, yeah I'm I was like, like, oh my god, this guy's getting serious. Um, so, in in as few words as you can, the most memorable or favorite beer that you have consumed in Brick Store since you guys opened. That's, that's, that's a hard one. Yeah. Most memorable or just plain favorite. We're all gonna pick the same beer. I'll, no, that's oh, really? actually not true. Good. And I'll. St- oh, okay. it's probably not cool for us to start with one we don't carry anymore. But uh, the old school Guinness races when we first uh, opened, yeah. after every shift, we would let the Guinness sit and get to a few degrees above where it started at, so we could drink them good and fast. And it was the end of every shift. And we we lined them up, and the guests got into it, and they watched us race and. I, I think there's we, we've had a million beers since then, and and most of them have been really really good. But it's I funny, remember Guinness, Guinness ran through my mind too. I remember those nice. Guinness uh, chugging contests as, as much <laughs> as anything. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that, I love that, Mike, or Dave. Yeah, I don't know. I was I was gonna say it probably. I wish I knew which one it was, but I was gonna say when we were like building this out, or even building out originally, just being gross and having. Yeah. I wish I should we just pick one? A beer? Well Saison Dupont is what we were drinking during build out up here in the Belgian room. I know I was chugging that. Yeah. God, I wish you would have given me a little bit more time to think about that. I'm really sorry about that. Mike's got a good one. (laughs) I'm really sorry. I deeply apologize. No, it's funny. I I think about like, you know, of course I thought in some way we might all have an Orval story because But, you know, and, and we could easily because you'd remember that moment where you poured it. But I do think Guinness comes up because before we were, you know, we opened our bar. Uh, if there were it's two, th- if, yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> but the bar within Mary. the pub, Mary, know, it's a pub. Bar. <laughs> thank you for the backup, guys. Um, uh, we, you know, served great beer and and great whiskey, but we didn't the cocktails the way we know them now yeah. didn't exist. And so, building a proper Guinness was a point of pride in our establishment. And so, you know, if I think of one beer experience in particular, and, and there's two that come to mind, and they do involve events and food, and one is the night where we did the the relaunch of Rochefort in, in our Belgian bar, and um, and it was just this magical, amazing thing to drink these incredible beers. We got a chance to cook some of the Flemish food, and, you know, Tom and our chefs nice. really delved into that, and, and we had this amazing experience. And then the other one, and we just had Garrett Oliver here for a beer and cheese experience, is we, when we were first getting into that, and that's how it got on our menu, we paired garocha, which is this aged goat's milk cheese, with a um, Galden Carolis um, uh, Cuvée Van de Kaiser. And it was like a life-changing moment, you know, where they, they become two different things and you freak out. And for us, that was this, like, eye-opening experience of, of yeah. what, like, beer, you know, and at that time, beer was what you drank when you mowed the lawn at a sports game, and wine's what you drank with a, a meal, but that's right. changed. Now beer is fought for its place totally. on the table. Um, but I think more than anything now, yeah, we're drinking 
our, our friends. Like we're drinking Creature and Three nice. Taverns and, you know. That's so cool. Well, for the next month, heaven. it's Sierra Nevada celebration. But <laughs> then after that, too. we'll go back to Creature Comforts and Three Taverns. Very nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's all right. They're just down the road. They're sure. just right outside of Asheville. So. Yeah. Um, but Mike, Dave, Tom, thank you guys for sharing your story. Thanks for being on the Atlanta Foodcast. And uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I'll see you here for a beer pretty soon. I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Thanks, guys. Man. Thanks for listening to the Atlanta Foodcast. If you haven't already, hit subscribe and please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram. And as always, thanks for making Atlanta the greatest city for eaters.